Van Hale, today, open your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. Give you a huge head start um, to where we're going to be jumping in today. Man, these past few weeks have been so incredible. And I'm so glad you decided to join us this morning at North Star. Whether you're in the room or you're watching in the theater or online at a beach, we're not jealous. I promise it's warm here. Don't check me on the weather because it's not warm. Um, It was very cold when I got here. Well, today we conclude our series, How Do I Pray When? We've been walking through the Lord's Prayer, probably one of the most famous prayers of all time, probably something for many of you thinking back to high school sports or growing up in church, or maybe before you went to bed, you would pray these words, probably depending on the context, would depend on the speed. I know for me with high school baseball, it's like, uh, how be the name of the kingdom come, we'll be done. Like, we'd be flying, not know what we said, but we prayed before the game, I guess. And it got me thinking, I wonder what other prayers are super famous. <clears throat> so you can think, the prayer of St. Patrick. We just celebrated you know, him a few days ago with wearing a thousand different shades of green. It was like a Tennessee game, just orange, uh, just a different color. Uh, do with that as you wish. Uh, no love lost here. But St. Patrick, he has a famous prayer. Christ within me, or Christ with me, Christ within me, Christ before me, Christ behind me. Maybe it's not that prayer. Maybe it's the prayer you prayed before you went to bed. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Maybe you didn't pray that prayer and it's like, where do I know that from? Metallica, enter Sandman. <laughs> Just saying, you told on yourself right there. I didn't, I didn't do it. The Holy Spirit maybe reminded you of Metallica's hit. Maybe for you, it's the serenity prayer. Um, again, ultimately, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Again, so many people have clung to that prayer whenever they were in times of trouble trying to recover from addictions. And let me just put our cards on the table. Here is a staff at North Star. The reason we've been walking through the Lord's Prayer is not that it would help you have a prayer to be remembered, but a prayer to be made real. The whole goal of this series, as we walk out of here today, as we put a stamp on it, as we finish, isn't that you remember these words of Jesus but that they become real in your life. That you would walk this out every single day. There's another prayer I wanna throw into contention. Um, 2011 in Nashville, Tennessee, there was a massive NASCAR race and probably one of the most memorable prayers of all time was prayed by Pastor Joan Elms. Check this video out. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for all your blessings. You said in all things give thanks. So we want to thank you tonight for these mighty machines that you brought before us. Thank you for the Dodges and the Toyotas. Thank you for the Fords. And most of all, we thank you for Roush and Yates partnering to give us the power that we see before us tonight. Thank you for GM Performance Technology and the R07 engines. Thank you for Sunoco Racing Fuel and Goodyear tires that bring performance and power to the track. Lord, I want to thank you for my smoking hot wife tonight, Lisa, and my two children, Eli and Emma, or as we like to call them, the Little E's. Lord, I pray you bless the drivers and use them tonight. May they put on a performance worthy of this great track. In Jesus' name, boogity, 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 amen. Amen, amen. Match picture on a Sunday morning, Seth up here. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for the, the Taylor guitars and the Nord pianos. And look, I, 
He's used some of his Moultrie slang with me before. Boogity, boogity, boogity ain't too far off uh, with some of the things down there. Again, though, personally, 2011, this prayer came back to mind this week for me. I remember to thank God for the Fords and the GMs and the toy. The goal is not a prayer remembered, but a prayer made real. Matthew chapter six, if you would, and you're willing and able, you stand and read God's word together with us this morning. So again, this is the Lord's prayer. Jesus speaking here, starting in verse nine, it says this. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This morning, we will talk about those two words that don't take long for us when we roll over in the bed in the morning to be, realize that it's real. Temptation and evil. God, help lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's our goal for the morning. So in a second, before we pray, I want to kind of lead you to pray in two specific areas this morning. First, I want to pray for you um, and that we would pray collectively for each other, that as we search God's word, it in turn would search our hearts as well. Again, if we want to make this real, we're going to have to do some hard work today to be able to realize that. So let's pray that God's word searches us. But the second thing I want to pray for, again, man, a week that is just here in front of us, man, we saw an incredible tragedy up in Nashville this past week. Again, there, there is a church that is meeting this morning that comes off the wake of heaviness and evil in their own midst of Cumberland Presbyter or Covenant Presbyterian. Um, and I know personally the, the pastor himself, the one who's trying to lead and be the spiritual figure for his congregation, I know is feeling this same weight at home after he lost his daughter. So can we pray for those two things this morning? Can we pray that God would search our hearts but we, could, we also lift up our brothers and sisters up in Nashville um, at, at Covenant together. Let's pray. Dear God, I want to thank you, God, for today and all that you're already doing, God, all that you will do this morning. And God, I, we know that in this life we face temptation and evil every moment, it seems. From the moment we wake up and get on social media or turn on the news or look at the paper, God, that we simply, we could be void of all those things and just walk outside and see that temptation and evil are present. So God, today I pray for our people, God, that you would just open their hearts. God, as we search your word, would you search our hearts in return? God, as we dig in, would you just fill us up with all that your word has? God, and I also pray for covenant this morning. God, I, our brothers and sisters who are facing an incredible weight, the, real, the reality of, of evil in the world. God, I pray that you're with them today. God, give them an extra cup of grace. God, give them all that they need as this, this body comes together. God, I pray that you get the glory even in incredibly difficult situations. So God, be with us today. Search us and let us search your word together. In your name I pray all these things. Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. So Jesus says this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So let's start with an easy question, softball to get you going this morning. If you have followed Jesus, you've chosen to believe in him, to trust in him, will you still be tempted? Yes or no? Yes. Perfect, 100%, easy A for today. 
So if we know we're going to be tempted, even as a follower of Jesus, the question now becomes, why do we face temptation? Again, we can get into a long theological debate about this, but what we believe in the Gospels, the good news of Jesus, is that when he died on the cross and rose again, that he freed us from the power of sin. But the presence of sin will still be with us till the day we go to be with the Lord. There will be sin around us all in our life until we are with him. So the good news this morning, though the presence of sin still exists in your life and in my life, the power of sin has been defeated through the grave, through the empty tomb, through Jesus Christ and his love for you. So look, it doesn't matter. Like maybe you accepted Jesus 80 years ago at the age of five. Or maybe this morning on the way in, you were driving in and somebody told you about Jesus and you chose to follow Jesus today. In about 30 minutes, you're gonna walk outside and you're gonna get in your car and somebody in the parking lot, not our parking lot, but the the restaurant parking lot, of course, they're gonna cut you off. And temptation's gonna rear its ugly head yet again. That's my spot. I had the right of way. It was green for me. You had a blinking light. And we are tempted Yet again, friends, there's no point in our Christian walk that we're ever exempt from temptation. So what do we do when we face temptation? We've got to figure that out today. How do we, if we know it's coming, how do we prepare for the temptations we're going to face? And how do we live in the freedom that has been bought for us on the cross? In your Bible, flip back a page or two to Matthew chapter 4. So in Matthew chapter four, again, remembering this for today, that this prayer isn't something to be remembered, but made real. Jesus makes this prayer real as he's in the wilderness tempted by Satan. So in Matthew chapter four, verses one to 11, I'll read it real quick. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil for a third time took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you'll fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This morning, let me give you a roadmap for where we're headed. So we're going to ultimately talk about the three temptations we face in life and the three choices we have to make. Again, the three temptations that Satan will throw our way and the three choices you and I have to make if we want to fight against temptation. And the first temptation we'll talk about today is the temptation of pleasure. The temptation of pleasure. We see it very clearly in verses one to four. We join Christ, he's in the wilderness. Like 
This isn't just like an Eagle Scout project. Like Jesus isn't just like going camping with like a nice cot. And like Jesus is out there fasting for 40 days in a place that has nothing to provide for him. Like you take a wrong turn and you get lost. You don't want to be in the wilderness. And not only was he in the wilderness, (laughs) this dude named the devil comes to tempt him. Like literally comes to tempt Jesus at the end of his 40 days. So Satan begins to tempt Jesus with the word that I think will characterize this morning. He begins to tempt him with doubt. Now, yes, we're going to talk about three specific temptations Satan does, but the driver of each of these temptations is the word doubt. See, because at the end of Matthew chapter three, again, these chapter breaks are something we created humans, but the very last words in chapter three that leads us to chapter four, Jesus was just baptized to set an example for us. And God, the father says of Jesus, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Then we flip the page and Satan says, if you are the son of God, are you sure about that? Jesus Like, I know that you heard that audible voice. Are you really sure that was for you? Like, was that not for John the Baptist? Like, he just did the baptizing. Really, can it be you, Jesus, that's the son of God? Are you sure about that? Do you really think that he wants to use you? Do you have that privilege? If you are the son of God. Friends, for us, Satan uses the same word of doubt to try and make us fall into temptation. Are you sure? You really a child of God? Children of God don't act like that. They don't think those things. They don't say those things. They don't do those things. Are you sure? Are you really a follower of Jesus? And again, here is the good news today. If you have trusted in Jesus, if you have turned from your sin and believed in him, In his life, death, and resurrection, the same thing is said over you from Matthew 3. God the Father says of you, this is my child in whom I am well pleased. Man, we don't always get it right. We mess it up probably more than we want to. But at the end of the day, as a follower of Jesus, this is my child. I love them. So Satan begins to try and tempt Jesus through the temptation of pleasure. My boy's hungry. Can I get an amen? Like 40 days, 40 nights. Like if I skip breakfast by 11.15, like I'm on the verge of hangry. Like you probably don't want to like catch me at the wrong time. I might go off. I need a Snickers at that point. This dude's been going 40 days without food. Over a month with no eating. And notice Satan picks his spot. Like day one when like Jesus is all like, oh yeah, I've got this New Year's resolution. Come on, babe. Like I'm not gonna eat for 40. He doesn't come on day one. He comes when it's about over, right? When you're most vulnerable, when you're most easily susceptible to temptation. And he says, you want food? You're hungry. Here's a stone. You ever heard of a restaurant called Longhorn? Like, can we, can we do this thing right here? Ultimately, what Satan is offering Jesus here isn't just to make a stone into bread. He's he's offering him, hey, you need sustenance. Here you go. Do it. If you're the son of God, do it. 
And ultimately what Jesus says is, man, this is who I believe in, that I'm not sustained by bread alone. I'm sustained by the words of my father. He's the one who gets to say what is good for me. Jesus isn't against us having like pleasure and comfort and different things like that. Like if Jesus was against bread, he wouldn't have fed 5,000 people with it. He wouldn't have called himself the bread of life. Like Jesus wasn't just like gluten-free and like, ah, I don't know about bread. Like if this were like a cookie from crumble, I'd be all like, it's not that the temptation was the problem. It was the one he was relying on. Satan was saying, rely on yourself. And Jesus was saying, no, I rely on the word of God. That is what gives me my sustenance. Really what Satan was offering Jesus is God's good gifts for selfish purposes. Like bread is awesome. Amen, hallelujah, let's go. Bread is great. But there's a time and a place where we have to submit to God's will even when it goes against our natural comforts and pleasures. Good creation used for selfish gain. That's what pleasure looks like. Think about it this way, an airplane. So airplanes again, are incredible inventions. Like, again, it, it's not the warmest here, but in a couple hours, if I had more money, I could be in Hawaii sitting on a beach and it'd be nice. Or I could go fly up to the Northeast and spend some time in the snow, or I could go visit my family. Planes are really cool because they help us get to the places we wanna go to see the people we wanna see, to see the creation that God has made, to see the beautiful things in this world. But we also know that in our country's history, particularly, planes have also been used for ill intent. Good creation used for selfish gain. And those planes weren't used because they were bad. No, they were helping people go get where they needed to be. For us, when we give in to pleasure, it's, it's taking God's good gifts and using it for selfish gain. Pleasure's doing whatever it takes to make yourself happy. Like if you were just make it simple, I will be happy when I get blank. When I get that new car, when I get that bigger house, when I get that promotion, when I get that title. When I get this thing, it will satisfy me. Doing whatever it takes to get there along the way. Mm, God, your clock's not quick enough. Like, I really want a, a boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, child in this season, whatever it is. Come on. You're, you're late, God. Where you at, God? And we begin to take what God intended for good gifts, and we begin to take shortcuts to gain our pleasure. See, when temptation for pleasure comes, we have to choose wisely. We have to make a choice, and the choice is this. We have to trust the Father's design. We have to trust the Father's design. Again, when you're tempted with pleasure, trust that the God who created you created you the way that he did for a reason. Like the God who knows every thought that you're thinking, every hair on your head, everything you've ever done, he designed you perfectly. And we have to trust that he did that. Again, when we choose to trust the Father's design, it's choosing to submit to his timing and his will, even when it's inconvenient to you and me. 
Because again, the physical things are important. Like Jesus feeds 5,000 people just because they're hungry. Like, all right, perfect. I'm gonna make these couple fish and couple loaves and we're just gonna pass it around and get 12 baskets after. Like Jesus sees that we need our certain things for sustenance, but at some time there will be a point where God's timing and God's will is more important than our present comfort or the pleasure that we seek. Ultimately, when we give into the temptation of pleasure, what we're saying is, God can't give me what I want, so I'm gonna go take it. I'm gonna go get it. I, I deserve the promotion. I deserve the house. I deserve the blessing. And God's not providing, so I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get there along the way. And we become impatient with the one who created us. Friends, we have to trust the Father's design. And what that looks like is perfect submission, trusting him for who he is. The second temptation we see, so we see pleasure. The second one is the temptation of pride. Again, we are tempted with pride along the way. Verses five to seven is where we see that. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, time out. When this it, it is written phrase is said, this isn't Jesus this time, this is Satan speaking. And if you can look through your Bibles like cross references, he's quoting Psalm 91. Satan is literally using God's word to tempt Jesus. It continues, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus, knowing scripture himself, comes back and says, Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Satan says, hey, look, I'm gonna take you up to the pinnacle of the temple. And if you are God, remember, doubt creeping back in. Are you sure you're God? If you're the son of God, throw yourself down because God's word says the angels are gonna pick you back up. He won't, does he, you sure God cares about you? Let's see. Personally, like I, I hate heights. Heights are not my friend. Um, I don't ride roller coasters, partly because of heights, partly because of a stomach that's very weak. Another story for another time. Um, but you won't catch me like on the Goliath at Six Flags. Like that thing's 200 feet in the air. I'm not about it. But here's Jesus, Satan saying like, hey, jump off the Goliath. Like just, just base jump from this roller coaster. And the Lord's, his angels are gonna come around you and pick you up. And he, look, he's gonna put a nice soft pillow, like a Comfort Tech mattress, like the purple mat, like. And Jesus comes back to Satan and said, no, 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 no. That's not what God's word says. See, Satan cared so much to tempt Jesus that he was willing to quote God's word back to him out of Psalm 91. But the thing is, Though Satan had the right information, he had the, the wrong interpretation of that verse. Where he leaves out a few words to say what he wants it to say. Jesus, I mean, it's, it's in God's word, right? Like, you know the Psalms, you know this is true. But ultimately, Jesus comes back with Deuteronomy 6 saying, no, 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 no. I'm not going to test God. Pride. I believe I'm good enough. So I'm gonna prove it, right? I'm good enough, so I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna prove it to you. It could be the way you look. It could be the, the way that you parent your family. It could be the way that you execute at your job and do it so well. But I know I'm good and people aren't acknowledging it, so I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna get it. 
I'm going to prove myself. And typically when we have pride in our lives, the way that plays out is we elevate ourselves, typically at the expense of others. Again, when we are tempted with pride, it's how high can I push myself at the detriment of the people around us? The question is, what do we do? What do we choose when pride comes into our life? The choice we have to make is to remember the son's suffering. Remember the son's suffering. That's what we'll talk about all this week, Holy Week, as we lead into Good Friday, where we see the image of our Savior who is beaten and mocked and scorned and betrayed by his closest friends, carrying a cross as far as he can until somebody else will carry it for him because he can't take it anymore. When you and I struggle with pride, the way that we combat that is remembering the one who is humble enough to put himself on a cross. Like, to be honest, the only person who should be proud is Jesus in this life. But he was willing to come not as a a king or a ruler or an authoritarian. He comes instead as a servant, swallowing his pride that he easily could have had. So the question comes for us, what do we do when we face the temptation of pride? Because ultimately, when we remember the son's suffering, we remember that our freedom has been bought on the cross. Like, praise God, hallelujah, we are free, free indeed. But the question becomes, are we living in that freedom that's already been given to us? You are free, friends. What are you doing about it? Are you living in that freedom? When we ultimately give in to the temptation of pride, we ultimately doubt God's ability. And sometimes when we pray, we pray big things. Man, again, I wanna challenge you. We've been challenging you in this series. Pray the biggest thing you know how. But when our pride gets in the way, sometimes God won't necessarily answer it the way that we thought he might. You may think you have a perfect plan or path, but maybe there's a different way that he takes you down the line. So we have to remember the son's suffering. The third temptation we see in this passage is the temptation of power. The temptation of power, um, verses eight to 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus, here's all the kingdoms, here's all the people, here's all the nations. I will give this to you for free. I mean, sort of, right? Like, oh, you just gotta, you gotta bow down first. I mean, it's no big, it's just a formality thing. Here's everything you've ever wanted. Oh, and remember, you know you're heading to the cross. Here, I'll give you everything, and you don't even have to endure the suffering of the cross. All you gotta do is bow down. Friends, in our walk as well, when we ultimately see the temptation of power, it's the same thing. Here is what seems like a good thing, but we're going to take a shortcut to get there. Satan loves using these half-truths. He always tries to make it sound good. 
You want influence, you want uh, purpose, you want money, success, a title, a great family. Man, here's all these things, good things. But if you give into the temptation of power, it's gonna be some shortcuts taken along the way that are gonna cost you a lot. See, being tempted with power ultimately is doing the right thing for the wrong reason or at the wrong way. Again, being tempted with power is doing the right thing for the wrong reason or the wrong way. A shortcut to God's plan. In this moment, Jesus recalls back to Deuteronomy 6. Again, the third reference to Deuteronomy chapter 8, chapter 6, chapter 6. Again, for most of us, a book that we kind of like, you started a, a yearly Bible reading plan and then Deuteronomy came and like, that sounded like Deuteronomy 6 and 6 and 6 because it is where you're at every single day. Jesus recalls scripture to combat Satan because he's not depending on himself and guys, we don't have to depend on ourselves either. The third choice we have to make today is to depend on the Spirit's guidance. Depend on the Spirit's guidance. Look, here it is, bottom line. It is not a sin to be tempted. Like we've already covered our basis. We all will be tempted. It is not a sin to be tempted. The question is, will you depend on the Holy Spirit to fight against the temptation that you face? Temptation is always a lie, but God's word is truth. Notice how Jesus fought Satan. It wasn't this like crazy supernatural cosmic battle, like supernatural King Kong and Godzilla climbing a tower to like fight each. It wasn't, it wasn't the Avengers versus Thanos. It was Satan and Jesus in the wilderness. And Jesus replies every time with this thing right here. And I wonder, I, you know, I, don't, I don't know Jesus's intentions but I wonder if why he fought against sin the way that he did is so that you and I could know we can do the exact same thing. Like here it is, here's your way out of temptation. Get to know this book. And look, I'm gonna be honest. Reading the Bible for the first time can be kind of awkward. Like, ah, do I, where do I start? What do I do? Like, do I Google this? Do I, where do I go here? But slowly and surely, as you get into this word over and over and over, it begins to create ruts in your life. Now look, I'm, I'm from West Tennessee. Mudding's a big deal where I come from. Ruts aren't good in mudding because eventually as you're driving the truck, it's gonna almost fall into it because the rut is so deep. I wonder if for us, we need to create spiritual ruts in our life to where we've been in God's word so much that when we're not in it, it's, we can't help but fall into that rut to fall into that habit of needing God's word. Again, Jesus quoted scripture every time he was tempted. And friends, we have the same word in front of us and we have the Holy Spirit to guide us. John 14, when Jesus says he's gonna send a helper in the Holy Spirit, he doesn't, like, sometimes we get kind of freaked out. Is the Holy Spirit like a, a supernatural GPS? Like, all right, Jesus, like, take the wheel. I'm closing my eyes, left or right. Okay, you didn't speak quick enough. Come on, like, what do you... It's not that hard. The Holy Spirit's role, as according to John 14, is that we would recall the words of God when we're tempted. So the more you know God's word, the more you're able to fight against temptation.
The question is, will you trust the Father's design? Remember the Son's suffering and depend on the Spirit's guidance. I want to show you, again, the, why we kind of chose this wording today that ultimately we, we face the temptation of pride and pleasure and power because Satan hasn't really changed his playbook over the, the past couple centuries. Like here in Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus tempted in these three specific ways. But if you call back to Genesis chapter 3, this is the initial moment. Adam and Eve in the garden with the serpent. It'll be up on the screen. Notice this here, how, Jesus, or how they were tempted in the garden. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, pleasure, and that it was a delight to the eyes, pride, and that the tree was desired to make one wise power, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Friends, Satan hasn't changed his playbook. He wants to tempt you in these three ways. And to make it really real, because again, we don't want to remember this prayer. We want it to be real in our lives. This, this week I was reading a commentary and man, they, they hit the nail on the head. They asked these three questions. Where does, where does Satan whisper in your ear the most? What room does Satan get in your head and whisper those doubts into your ear? Is it the bedroom with pleasure? Is it the bathroom mirror with pride? Or is it the boardroom with power? Where are you most tempted? The bedroom, the bathroom mirror, or the boardroom? And I would love to add a fourth one as we close this series on the Lord's Prayer. Notice the whole Lord's Prayer is written in the third person because it's not for me, it's for us. It's for God's body. Lead us not into temptation. I would argue the room that Satan wants to whisper in your ear the most is an empty one. He wants to isolate you and get you pulled apart from those you've been called to do life with. He wants to whisper those doubts into your mind over and over and over. The question is, what will we do when we face temptation? Because look, pop quiz, it's coming in a couple moments. Will we stand on the truth that God has spoken over us? Or will we fall into sin? Because again, Matthew 3, if you believed in Jesus, God looks at you and says, this is my child in whom I'm well pleased. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I want to thank you, God, for today. God, I want to pray for those people in this room, maybe who have been struggling with the weight of the sin in their life. God, temptation doesn't even seem to cut it because we're, we're living that way at this point. God, I pray that you give them the tools to fight, God, that they would search your word, they would believe in you, and that they would give it all they have. God, relying on you, depending on you, but fighting for themselves as well. God, I pray for the person who even walked in this room maybe this morning and the, the lies of doubt were continually bearing down on them. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You don't know what, the, like God doesn't care for you. you. You've done all these things. You've had all these thoughts. You've said this. 
But God, as we saw Jesus do in this passage, that we wouldn't believe the lies of Satan, we would believe the truth of your word, that these people are a child of you. God, when you look at them, you are well pleased. God, protect us. Give us freedom today. We pray all these things in your incredible name. Amen.